Hello, everyone, and welcome to The Heart of Sports with Jason Springer and Jeff Cohen, powered by ELEC 825. We are thrilled to join you on WWDB 860 AM and the 97.5 Network, ready to help you move into the weekend talking about all the news in the world of sports. Jeff, I'll get the intro right and get settled back into the studio eventually one of these days. I just days. don't want you to break anything. No? No. So, so, so far, you've knocked over your water. Yeah. I'm waiting for you to lean back and all of a sudden things to just fall back. Oh, now that we've decided I'm on the air? Yeah, yeah. Cool. You know, you can talk. We got I, the door right. I thought right. maybe you knocked over the water and, you know, fried all the equipment, we, you know. We were able to come in the front door today, at least. So we got that right. Well, that's so. only because I opened the door. Yeah, we set the bar low yeah, for uh-huh. everything that's going on. Uh, we're going to be joined shortly as we try to connect with him. Uh, ESPN NFL insider Mike Tannenbaum will talk some football with us and try to get him on the line uh, at 4 o'clock, right to start here soon. And then at 4.40, Luke Leftwood which pitcher will come on and talk about it. Uh, Mike actually needs about 10 minutes, so uh, he'll join us at 410. Okay. So, Jeff, why don't we start talking? Let's start a little Sixers, okay? You sure you don't want to talk about, you know, whether or not we're going to break anything? Oh, I know we're going to break oh, things. Oh, okay. All right. I have no doubt about that. It's right. not a question of Do if. Do have insurance for this? Uh, I hope the station does. All right. <laughs> anyway, so, okay. Wait, but we're moving in a couple weeks. I'll believe that. Okay. So, so should we? So, just so everybody knows, um, I started what four or five years ago, something like that, as a guest on the show. Gentle. Yeah. <laughs> and at the time, I was told that we were moving to a new studio. <laughs> we are. It's working on it. Well, I've been here about three and a half years, and yeah. from the time I walked in the door, they told me we were moving. So, when it actually happens, I'll believe it. Well, yeah, but the- what we were told this week, Mike, is we were t- we were told that we're moving to a new studio that has a beautiful view. Yes, which, which you can see the skyline, very, which is very important when you're doing a radio show. <laughs> the people that are listening in the car, they're going to love our view. <laughs> yeah, they're going to love the fact that you can see the skyline from Balakinwood. Vito's excited about the view over there. Jeff, uh, okay, I want to ask you which direction to start. We'll get to baseball later. Yeah. Do you want to start Sixers? Sixers. Okay. Unless you want to talk about other teams. What other teams would you like to talk about? You know, there are other teams in the playoffs. Like yesterday, the Bucks and, and the Nets played. That was a fun game. You know, when when I, I, I admit, I fell asleep at some point. So. <laughs> Shocking. Really? You had the boxing gloves out. You should have been, I had your popcorn and a beer were there. No, but think about it. It looked like it was the end of the third quarter with that score. These are the, like two of the highest scoring teams in the NBA, and it, somehow they forgot how to score last if night. If we're being honest, you have a new thing. You, you turn Which games off for your mental health. Well, that's the Phillies. <laughs> I can't tell you how many times I've texted you, and it's like I turned it off. I stopped watching for my health. Wait, and yesterday, wait, you're I, complicit in it now because you're the one telling me when to turn it off. Oh, I blew up your cell phone yesterday yeah. with what the Phillies decided to do in the afternoon with that game. Yeah, I was supposed to be at the game, and then I wasn't able to make the game. And then I was told that what a great game it was because Zach Wheeler was pitching a typical Zach Wheeler game for the season. And then you tell me that the bullpen blew it. I'm going to I'm read you my exact text message to you yesterday is it oh, PG? Man, oh man be so glad you didn't go goes to extras runner starts on second alvarado comes in wild pitch then it gets worse alvarado loads the bases and does it again another pitch at the catcher's base this is literally the jeff cohen worst nightmare game it is that was my text message chained to jeff during the game yesterday watching it and yet the phillies still won for their second walk off in a row and now they have a night off and they go to play the yankees i know everybody feels great about baseball but i want to talk confused. basketball 
I, I, that's what that's what I'm confused at. You asked what I wanted to start with. I started with basketball, and somehow you made it to baseball. You're welcome. Let's go back to basketball. <laughs> Lemon pepper wings. We're in Atlanta now, Jeff. Yeah. Uh, well, are, we're not. We're we'll, still in Philadelphia. Where there'd be more talk about the wings or the basketball going on this weekend <laughs> with what's going on. Well, I on. know for me, I'm talking more about the wings. Okay. i got to try them at this point, don't you? Uh, you do. So I, I was having a discussion with somebody about if you're down there, you have to go get their lemon pepper wings and you have to bring them back. And he said, well, I'm not going down there. That requires me to go to a club that I really don't want to get go into a club. So I'm like, well, can't you order them from like Grubhub or something like that? And he goes, well, it's going to show up on my receipt, though. <laughs> to, it's going to the place. To, to which we asked my wife about that last night, if she would believe me. <laughs> if I said to Jeff, I did not go to the entertainment club to get the wings. I had them delivered. Would you believe that? Well, that's because you're a scoundrel. <laughs> so Jeff, Jeff was entertained that my, my wife took him up on that com conversation. And then he made clear to say he did not go get the wings <laughs> as as well. Uh, you okay? I, and Bede is questionable to getting nervous. And beat is uh, questionable tonight. The Hawks haven't lost a game at home in like 13 games in a row. What's your feeling going into game three? Sixers came back in one game two at 1-1. Probably best you could get after the way the series opened there. Where are you right now in your confidence level? Because before you told me don't overreact yep. after game one. Mm -hmm. Where are you two? Uh, I'm not going to overreact. As long as Embiid's playing, I'm not concerned about it. I don't care that they put... Atlanta isn't exactly known for their fan bases. So I'm not worried about this crazy crowd somehow intimidating the Sixers. That's not my concern. What are you worried about? I'm worried about whether Embiid can stand upright and not get hurt. I'm worried about whether or not they can play defense like they played in Game 2 instead of playing defense like they played in Game 1. And I'm not counting on Shake Milton having another game where he goes off, where everybody talked like Doc Rivers and everybody on the team knew that Shake Milton was going to blow up at that minute. Genius! <laughs> exactly. <laughs> no, there is nobody that could have known that that was going to happen, nor should you expect it to happen again. The, the best, nor should he go play ahead of Tyrese Maxey at this point. The best part is, again, going back to Jeff and I's text message chains that occurred during <laughs> games, he texts me right before Shake goes off and goes, did I see that the bench really has no points in the third quarter zero. of the game? They had zero points. They had 70 plus points and not one single point came from the bench. And I still don't know if that was a record. It could be. Apparently, Doc got on them at halftime on the bench for not producing. And they came out and look, not right away. They didn't come not, out. Not right away. But right. they hit some big shots in that at the end of that third and the fourth quarter there to, to help seal the win. Your thoughts going into tonight. I definitely liked seeing Simmons more than uh uh, Danny Green on Trey Young, that's for sure. Danny and Green Matisse. seemed to disappear from the court in the second half. Yes. And so the question now is, you know, we've talked to Keith in the past, and he's like, they're not going to overreact. They're not going to take out a veteran and stick him right on the bench. The question is, is whether Doc Rivers has now said, okay, we're going to start Danny Green, but he's not going to be playing on Trey Young, and he's not going to be in at the end of the game. Speaking of Keith, uh, mm -hmm. Keith Pompey, our show friend, Inquirer Sixers writer at Pompey on Sixers. And the guy who's going to bring me home lemon pepper Who's going to bring home Jeff lemon pepper wigs <laughs> is in Atlanta. Um, I'd just like to point out, Jeff, it's another week that I did not appear on his Locked oh, on Sixers really podcast. Oh, we're really doing this again. Just, you know, you were on, correct? Okay. I, I, I'm just saying, like, you went and hung out. So, you know, I'm the one that apparently goes on vacation all the time and can't hang out with Keith. Well, to be <laughs> fair, you do go on vacation all the time. And when we get to the new studio, it's going to look like, because we'll make sure that the back backdrop is behind you. We're going to put different backdrops each week so it looks like Jason's on vacation. It's kind of like, where's Waldo? It'll be, where's Jason? 
Uh, I did want to ask you this week, you know, we'll get back to the on the court stuff. There was Mm -hmm. a lot of off the court stuff with tampering this week. Pat Riley got fined for talking about LeBron. Daryl Morey got fined for talking about Steph Curry. What is the point? We're we're now at the point where apparently you're not even allowed to acknowledge that there's players on other teams. I mean, what Daryl Morey got fined $75,000 for was ridiculous. His brother plays on the Sixers. (laughs) He's under contract. Is there anybody that thinks that the Sixers are going after Steph Curry? Do they not have anything better to worry about than that? Like, what's he supposed to say? No, No, I don't want his brother. That wouldn't be cool. Can I pitch this one to you guys? What? What'd you think about Pat Riley being fined about the uh, LeBron James comments? What's he going to say? He had him before and won titles with him. No, I don't want him back. I'd like not to win titles. Like the fact he said, like, I'll leave a shiny key under the mat for him. Like, it, that's funny, but like, come on, is he really pilfering and like well, doing look, anything that he shouldn't be doing? Like he knows other. he's not he's leaving not coming uh, back. LA at this point. Look, here's the thing. LeBron's going to sign wherever he wants, regardless of what Pat Riley says. And no matter what LeBron's the NBA finds him. movies in LA. His yeah. talents went to South Beach once. They're not going there twice. Yeah, no, they're not. They, they're not. And Jeff, let's, so let's get back to the Sixers here, okay? Yeah. What is your thought? They're, the the lack of bench productivity has been concerning because mm-hmm. they use the bench so much and literally every time they've gone to that full bench lineup, it's been a complete disaster in the second round. Well, I don't. you, you don't go to a full... First of all, you usually don't have a 10-person rotation when you get to the playoffs. You shorten your bench. So the fact that they're using it, at least a 10-person rotation is, is concerning to me. It should be a 11. smaller... Shake Milton, it, the 11th man, Jeff. Yeah, well, yeah, and you got B-Ball Paul. So, so, some people think that he should be in there. No, he doesn't belong in there. He should, If he comes into a game, they better be up or down by 30. So I don't want to hear about B-Ball Paul anymore. Not, not during the playoffs. But what they need to do is they need to shorten the bench again. And they need to have a rotation where at least two starters in are in at all times once you get past the beginning of the game. You need the consistency of that. Now, the problem is, if, if part of that consistency is Ben Simmons, if you're keeping him in that during that period of time, again, you don't have a scorer unless he's in the mood to slash to the basket. Which there have been times that he's been more aggressive, but again, he had no points the other night in a game that the team won. Mm. They did try to employ Hackaben for a minute. Yep. That is going to rear its head again in close games. It, it, is it not amazing to you? Two of the best players in the NBA, supposedly, are Giannis and Ben Simmons. I can't hit a foul shot. And neither one of them can hit a foul shot. Now, I heard somebody say today, like, their lives are set by their salaries, right? They could do nothing other than focus on this. How is it that they haven't developed a perimeter game? And how is it that they haven't been able to not perfect free throw Look, shooting, I, but just make half of them. I, I do a lot of social media work, and I always mm-hmm. remind people that the first word in social media is social. The first word in free shot, free, free throw, throw. Is, <laughs> is the first word in free throw is you're having a problem with the second is word. free. Like that's yeah. the whole point. They're giving it to you. Well, but Doc Rivers says as long as you get one, then you're getting one point per possession, right? Yeah, that that's that not the math answer. does not work. You need to work on that. That is not something that that you cannot fix if you want to. Wow, did I really say free shot? You did. It's the worst when you're live on the radio and you say dumb things. Well, maybe you and were then, thinking of COVID. Maybe you're saying they're going. You know, people are giving out free shots. So there's there's one school of thought that says just let it go. 
don't point out that you screwed up. And then there's my school of thought, where I just draw a ton of attention to the fact well, that no, I made a mistake. To, to be fair, I'm sitting across from you, and I'm not letting it go. No, <laughs> you're not letting <laughs> it go at all. Uh, other series. So Harden's been out with a hamstring injury since like three seconds into game one. Yeah, but he looks and, good on the bench. And the Nets still blew him out in game one and two. Mm-hmm. Milwaukee holds on for game three. You still think this is a net series, or yes. you think that... Milwaukee's got a no, shot. Milwaukee here. without DiVincenzo doesn't have the the horses to do it. No, you don't think so. No, they could make a series out of it, but th- they just don't have it. All right, we'll go back to our basketball talk in a second. Jeff, you ready to talk some football? I am. Uh, we got the best ESPN NFL front office insider, former GM of the Jets, executive VP of football operations of the Dolphins, Mike Tannenbaum joins us. Mike, thanks for the time today. Good afternoon, guys. How are you? Oh, we are fantastic. We get to talk some football. This is a great thing. So, Mike, we got to ask you to start before we get to anything real serious. Is you started as an intern for the Pittsfield Mets? How does a guy make it from the Pittsfield Mets to running the NFL team in the largest city in America? Yeah, a lot of good fortune. Um, just first one in, last to leave, right place at the right time, and uh, just had a lot of breaks along the way. And people like Coach Parcells and Coach Belichick just gave me opportunities, and uh, was able to work my way up the ladder. What's it like to get to work with minds like that in the game? Coach Parcells, Coach Belichick, you've been on other staffs with names that, that people have embedded in their heads. For you, it sounds like you were just a sponge sitting there learning for under the learning tree. Yeah, you know, and it's funny, like, you you could be on campus for about 10 minutes, and if you had something to contribute, like, they wanted to hear it. Um, and the standards were the standards, and both, like, very methodical in their decision making uh wanted good information and you know both were dynamic in their own way and i was just very fortunate in the formative years of my career to be around them and just try to learn as much as i could and be accretive you know when it was appropriate to do so what did you learn most from from those individuals and from the individuals that you also work with you know i would say process you know process leads to results i think sometimes myself included I would be a lot more outcome to sort of like driven in terms of what we were trying to do more so like how we're we going to get there, what steps we we're going to take. And uh, I think in particular, like coach Belichick, one of his many superpowers was he was able to distill a ton of information and put it into information that people could consume and understand and act on and understanding who your audience is. So those were some of the many lessons I learned along the way from them. You know, we just went through another draft here, and before we get to you know our local pick, which you've you've had some thoughts on, I wanted to get your take overall on talent talent evaluation and how that's evolved and changed over the decades. With, with all the data available now, has it gone too far from old school talent ev- evaluation? Where are we now on the pendulum of of how we evaluate? You know, I think it's just having good information. Um, I want as much information as possible. It helps sort of like define the decision-making process in terms of I had no problem taking an outlier, but I wanted to know if and when a player we were taking was too hot, too tall, too small, overweight, underweight, didn't have the requisite measurables in some meaningful way. And that didn't mean that we couldn't take a player outside those norms, but at least we wanted to make as informed decisions as we possibly could. Information can be good and sometimes information can be bad. When do you know as a general manager when to take the information and when to trust your own eyes? Yeah, great question. You know, we were just talking about that the other day. We have a think tank and we look at different topics and we sort of went back and looked at 
good decisions in the draft and bad decisions. And uh, not to generalize here, but one of the sort of themes that we all sort of coalesced around was that oftentimes the most recent information wasn't the best information. And what I mean by that specifically, if you go to the draft, and this is, again, generalizing, but over a 10, 20-year period, oftentimes the first grade on the player would be the most accurate, meaning that as you went along the process and you added things like the senior bowl or the combine or coaches getting involved, medical, security, all the other sort of ancillary aspects of um, player evaluation, and you got away from that original grade that you gave to a player when he just played football, oftentimes that first grade was the most accurate one. I, I was reading uh, somewhere, I saw you help get our own talent evaluator, Howie Roseman, his start in the league. Talk about a young Howie Roseman and how you've enjoyed watching him move along to where he is now. Yeah, he's just one of many of uh, you know people that uh, you know knocked on the door, and there were so many people that helped me in my career that I just always feel like I have an affirmative responsibility to pay it forward, and how he reached out multiple times and referred him to uh, Joe Banner, who at the time was running the Eagles, and you know, how he absolutely deserves everything he's accomplished. You know, he's worked incredibly hard, taken advantage of opportunities. No one handed him anything. Um, self-made guy, someone I have a lot of respect for. What's that like for you to be a mentor now as somebody who has blazed his own trail, done so many different things? Now, obviously, you have the ESPN gig on top of your prior experience, your law degree. You probably get your brain picked on a lot of things. How special is that for you to just be able to give people that opportunity people gave you? Yeah, it's very fulfilling to be candid. And again, there were so many people that gave me an opportunity or gave me some time. And, um, you know, there was people like Ron Wolf when I was fortunate enough to become a GM at 36 that um, I called him all the time. And, you know, he, he didn't owe anything to me. And he just was always gracious. And I always felt like, boy, if I ever had the opportunity to pay it back, I, I certainly wanted to do so. Mike, we seem to be in an age of player empowerment. Um, as, as a guy that's now not running a team, how would you deal with, with the way that players are now empowered and, and trying to take more control of their careers and where they play and who they play with? Well, I think context is really important. First of all, I think overall it's healthy from this standpoint. It sort of creates an obligation for organizational excellence where from top all the way down to the bottom, you really have to treat players well. And when a player has the sort of, you know, stature to be able to do something about it, if they want to, you know, they certainly can. But I think player empowerment is a little bit of a broad term. And we certainly talk about it a lot on ESPN. And I think there's yep. he's under contract. And, um, you know, that's meaningfully different than where I think overall players do have a bigger seat at the table. I think they deserve it. Um, I think it puts just more of a responsibility on an organization to uh, try to get to know their players, understand their players, and try to make them as fulfilled as possible. For your own style, if you, if you had to deal with a player who is out in the media talking about, even talking about you, how do you deal with that? How do you develop the thick skin to kind of just go about your job and do what's right for the team when people are attacking you? Yeah, unfortunately for me, that's not a hypothetical. <laughs> so <laughs> so uh, I, I can give you some real, real candid uh, insight on that. It stinks. I mean, you know, I, I said to myself for years that I think you could really bifurcate feelings in this sort of respect. When you cut players, like that was a responsibility we had, and we had to handle it like professionals, but there was something seriously wrong with us if we didn't feel deep inside like this wasn't painful. And the same really went was true for criticism, which was, 
you know, you had to handle it like a pro. You, you had a responsibility for your franchise to do what you felt was in the absolute best interest of the organization. And if agents or players didn't like that, you know, they were going to, you know, use any means necessary to get the result they wanted. And uh, you just had to steel yourself to know that, hey, like for me, it was always about if I had the head coach and owner on the same page, I could handle anything. So before we let you go, I did want to ask you about our own draft pick, Devontae Smith. Obviously, lots of takes on either side. I saw you pretty confident that he can overcome his frame. I've seen comparisons like Marvin Harrison. And I saw you say it it seemed like the game against Ohio State where he went into that stadium saying they were saying they're not going to let him beat us. And then he beat them, really sold you. Can you talk about what you see from Devontae Smith and why you think he's going to be successful? Yeah, no, that's about right. You know, Ohio State's obviously a great program, terrific coaching. And, you know, we were talking about Coach Belichick before. You know, Coach Belichick, one of his axioms was always, hey, we're going to lose. Our opponent is going to beat us left-handed, meaning we're going to take away what they do great. And clearly, Ohio State, when you watch that game, was trying to shade some coverage over the top. They were trying to double him, jam him. And he was on the biggest stage, the best player on the field, without question. You know, Jalen Waddell, I thought, was – extremely impressive try and play on one leg but Devon Smith was tremendous and he does to me look like Marvin Harrison and if there was a concern certainly his physique and stature would be that but he's been able to do that you know through the rigors of a tough SEC schedule obviously Philadelphia needed a receiver he should be a bonafide number one I'm sure over time he'll add good weight especially in his lower body where again he could withstand the rigors of going through now a 17-game season. And if he can, you know, just given his hands, his quickness, um, you know, there's a lot to like if I'm a Philadelphia Eagle fan. What's your thoughts on where the Eagles are now? A lot of changes offseason. Nick Sirianni in it at the head coach. Jalen Hurts is going to be the quarterback. Obviously, this draft pick, lots of turnover in players. What's your thoughts on what this team has done in the offseason? Yeah, I think they're going the right direction. You know, I, I think Nick Sirianni is a problem solver. He's a, a really bright I think he has a really good scheme. Um, he's very player-friendly. Um, and I think, you know, they'll be able to see what they have with Jalen Hurts. And they're sitting there in all likelihood with three number one picks in 2022, which obviously allows you to operate from a position of strength. But, you know, I'm sure from their purview, if Hurts can continue to develop, those picks could be used on something besides a quarterback. Mike, we can't thank you enough for the time. I always look forward to catching you on TV. Can you let people know where they can catch you next? Uh, well, you can follow me at, on Twitter at Real Tannenbaum. And, uh, yeah, i got a bunch of things coming up next week. And it's uh, been great to be on with you guys. I appreciate it. Thank you. Uh, appreciate the time. You have a great day, Mike. Yeah, you too. Thanks, guys. Jeff, you want to talk about getting some direct knowledge right there from somebody who knows it. <laughs> That's just funny. You ask him what it's like. How do you deal with the criticism? He's like, well, I know that well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, it, it, it's hard to do that job. I, I mean, we're, it's, it's hard we're, to do this job. We do a radio show, and one person comments yeah, on a Facebook well, post, and it's like, what's wrong with them? Why don't they like us? <laughs> <laughs> it, no, think about it, though. I mean, it, it is talent evaluation is in a heart, and, and, and it's not perfect. And with all of the information, and, and you know what? One of the things I did forget to ask him is, with all that information, has it gotten any better? Because it doesn't seem like it has to me. It seems like we have all this additional data, but it still hasn't guaranteed any. I, I, the, the numbers of hits and misses in the first and second round, I don't think are any better than they used to be. You, you and I both know talent only gets you so far. 
there are so many other intangibles from the scheme you're in to the coaching situation to your own commitment to get better and your dedication to your craft that influence that, that often talent evaluators are held responsible for not being mind readers for what the person is going to be like, not the skill set they have. Were you surprised that he said that in talent evaluation, the early evaluation, the first one that's done is usually the most accurate? No, I've actually heard that from people that you end up talking yourself out of your best idea. Like you, you, go, you have a gut feeling and then you try so hard not to reinforce your gut. You try to challenge that gut feeling to, to make sure that it's the right thing. Mm-hmm. And in the end, the more you talk yourself out of it, you're often just looking for excuses not to go with what you know at your heart is right. See, I, I think it's more than that. I, th- I think you're right. But I think more of it is, is that the early evaluation that you're getting is based on games. It's based on the season that the scouts have just watched. And then you start getting all the information. I mean, do I have to bring up Mike Mamula? No. I mean, look, I told you. It's those kind of things. I mean, to me, the combo. I've never understood. Yeah, I know. But but I've, (laughs) I've, I've, I've never understood the combine because it asks players to do stuff that they're not doing in a game. If you're asking somebody to run, a, a, a quick dash with no equipment on. What does it really tell you? And nobody in front of you yes. bumping you. When, when you when you've just watched somebody play an entire season where they look really fast and are getting past all the other people with pads on and with all the equipment on. So it doesn't really tell you that much. What does it tell you if somebody jumps high one or two times? You've just watched how they played against real competition for one, two, three, possibly four seasons. And so it does make sense to me that the early evaluation is the right one because that's actually the most thorough one. That's based on the largest compilation. And the largest of body of work. It's everything you saw, everything you were told before you started actually looking into it. Now now add all of that and picture being a general manager of a team in in New York. If only I would have gone. I just can't imagine. If I only would have gone with my gut. I wouldn't have had you sitting across. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> oh, wow. If you would have went with all your old... Shots so, fired so you, back wait, in the so studio. Are you, are you telling me that the reason was is because you looked at my combine and then decided? No, I've seen you play sports. That wasn't the reason. And you certainly didn't Look, choose me for my you, ability to you, play sports. You've seen me try out for a professional <laughs> basketball team, and I can't jump over a deck of cards. Hey, so. at least you were on the court. I was sitting on the sidelines with ice packs, Jeff. Uh, okay, any other football thoughts following that interview? I did want to say I'm surprised Zach Ertz is still an Eagle. I didn't really want to uh-huh. ask him about it because, you know, I don't know. The Eagles signed Richard Rodgers as insurance. Will they How cut old him? is Richard Rodgers? Will they cut Zach Ertz just so they don't have to pay him? No. I mean, just cut no. their losses or will he be on this roster? Why would you do that? I would Why would you take somebody that talented who can provide that much of a security blanket to your young quarterback? I just don't get it. I wouldn't. But everything I've seen is they're negotiating an extension potentially with Goddard and they're signing Rodgers as insurance and backup yeah. in case he's not and here. keep them all. Well, I agree with you. Keep them all. I don't. But then again... We don't know what kind of offense Nick Sirianni is going to run. Is he going to run a two tight end offense? Is it going to be more wide open where he's three wides, four rides? Nobody Zach, really knows. But, yeah, but Zach Ertz is 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 the new age. He was probably the original new age tight end, right? Okay. So so why he's not? It's not like you're running two tight end lumbering tight end sets. Zach Ertz is a guy who can get to the outside and provide that kind of space too. 
So why not give him, unless you're telling you financially you can't do it, which, by the way, I don't think a single fan wants to hear. The answer is, unless you're getting a good deal, a really good deal at this point, why not hold on to him and see if you can help Jalen Hurts develop? And another reason to hold on to him is the Eagles are the youngest team at wide receiver in the league. They've got a second-year quarterback who barely started until the end of the season last year. Why wouldn't you want to give as many safety blankets as possible out there to help him get comfortable with what you're playing? So I got I got to say, you know, and you you've often talked about the fact that we have like notes that you know that we start with and yes. kind of work from there. Yes, you put in the schedule. Did you do that just to piss me off? Absolutely. Was it was it in there because you just I wanted... almost put the headline, Jeff. This is to piss you off. Like, but I didn't need to. What, because so I we need... can so we can go through the seventeen week schedule and predict, and even though we don't know whether players are on a team, we're going to predict exactly who's going to win each game. You know, the best part is you I didn't know how much I, I didn't hate that. even need to put in there that that's why I put it in there. And of you course knew. you didn't. I knew exactly why you did, and it still bothers me. <laughs> So you're telling me you don't want to go through the schedule and pick wins and losses. I'm saying there's a chance. (laughs) (laughs) You're saying there's a chance. Why don't we go ahead to break? When we come back, we'll do some baseball talk. Then we'll be joined by Luke Lefwich. We've got much more. Stick with us. Operating engineers are the men and women that move mountains. And the Engineers Labor Employer Cooperative, ELEG, puts them to work. They create opportunities for the men, women, and union signatory contractors of Local 825 repaving our roads, keeping our homes bright and warm, and even building our favorite team stadium. We understand infrastructure. That's why ELEC and Local 825 are ready to get to work. All right, well, we're back, Jeff, so if you want to come back with golf. So, Jeff, we're back in the studio, and when the ad stops, it means we're on the air. I know that this is all new again. But obviously, do me a favor. Just lean back in your chair and be quiet. Jeff wants to talk about golf now. So since we came back, we're going to talk a little golf. Uh, The Memorial met COVID last week. Jeff John Rom was forced to retire, lose out on one point seven million dollars after he was six shots up, had to retire with a positive COVID test. That was one piece of news last week. The other piece that of was news, heartbreaking. That the other piece of news was Bryson DeChambeau and and uh, Kepka uh, keep their feud going. <laughs> you know what's you know what's funny? Neither one of them is really likable. <laughs> no, but I'm liking the whole thing. So, so all right. So which team are you on? Team PGA. You, I, you are such a fence sitter. Tell it me you're surprised. Me I, I, it is so sad that even <laughs> on a feud, you can't pick a Hatfield or a McCoy. No, absolutely not. I believe that I'm they team both will win by this. They both will have larger of profiles. Will sell more, more merchandise. The fact that the fact that Kepka said it's good for golf yes. is exactly why it's good for golf. Which at some point will make you wonder what's actually whether it's legit real and whether it's yes. real. But look, we've talked to Michael Collins long before this was public it is real and the reason it's real is because there there's probably other than actually cheating on a golf course the only thing you can do worse is play slow yes and and Bryson DeChambeau is a snail when it plays golf when it comes to playing golf and it drives the other golfers crazy and it is literally driven Brooks Kapka to the point that he wants to just take Bryson and drive him into the ground. By the way, we're going to have to reach out to Michael Collins again. I don't know if you saw his Facebook feed this week. He's like in London over with Canelo Alvarez boxing. Boxing? <laughs> I don't know, man. You got to follow his Facebook feed. He's having. He's living the life with ESPN as the uh, ESPN caddy right now. He's enjoyed himself. Any other golf Is thoughts? Canelo Alvarez golfing too? 
I, I don't know. Mm. Punching him in the face. I'm not sure what he's doing. Yeah. Any other golf thoughts before we move on to some? We can go back to basketball talk. I'd like to go to baseball talk since we'll get to Luke in a little bit, but I want to talk majors before we talk some minors with him. Okay, go. Okay. The Phillies this week. Are we back from the break? Are typical. <laughs> <laughs> yes, Jeff, we're on the air. Imagine that. Typical Phillies this week, okay? Yeah. So it's. A roller coaster. The bullpen keeps blowing it. The lineup tries to save it. But you saw some really fun stories this week. We're going to ask Luke Lefwich about Luke Williams a little bit. I, you know, the reason I actually want to have Luke Lefwich on, other than we've interviewed him before and, and love having him, is I want to see how long it takes you to screw up which Luke you say. Oh, I, I, before I even uh, put enti- him on, I'll get the it The entire night I was thinking... How long is it going to take him before he actually calls Luke Lefflich Luke Williams? Probably before we even get on the air with yes. him. I'll probably screw that up. Yeah, try not to do it while he's on. The Luke Williams thing was really cool. Uh, just from, obviously, it's fun to win a game, walk off home run, great. But his story this past week is amazing. Played for Team USA, mm-hmm. then came back, got called up to the big leagues. Jeff, you were at the game where he got his first bunt single. No, I wasn't. You weren't? I no. thought you were there. His family was there. Yeah. They, they flew I'm all... I'm not related to him. No. <laughs> but, you, but, you, <laughs> but you were interested. I wasn't. Well, I love those stories. I mean, we covered, before COVID, covered the minor leagues, especially the Phillies organization for, what, three years? And got to interview all of these guys. And before that, I used to go to a lot of minor league games with my kid when he was younger because he loved it. And you become invested in watching them develop and waiting for that moment. And you know the stories because their parents their parents used to follow our, our feeds and our show. That was the thing that you used to like and, the most is when the parents would follow what we were doing and they would share it and they would like it and they'd be like, oh, okay, because you were that parent who loved when somebody said something exactly. good about what your kid was doing. So, so, when, so when, when we would hear that somebody was getting called up, we used to make a point of going to those games. Yes. And, and while other people would sit there and go, who's this guy? We were, we were out there cheering as loud as can be. I was at Adam Hensley's first game in center field after we interviewed him two weeks before in the dugout in Reading. Yeah. So, so then you say, I mean, Luke Williams would... It, what should have been called up earlier in my mind. I mean, he had a great spring training too, but, but he comes up and he, the fact that he bunted for his first hit is something that you just there. That's the kind of stuff that endears someone to a city, especially with a city like Philadelphia, because he'll do anything. You already knew that Luke Williams, he'll play any position. He'll do anything to, to help the team. And then the next day, what does he do? He hits a walk-off home run. With the family in the stands. Yes. They interview him after the game, after they pour the water on him where the uh, technicals go out because his headphones don't work anymore. <laughs> they ran they, out of Gatorade. They ask him about it. Tom McCarthy does. He says, what's it like to have your family there? And his response is, you're going to make me cry. And then his family's on the field with him afterwards. And it's just, look, I get it. People are hardened. They just want to see the Phillies win. They're frustrated when they lose. But in a season where you have the ups and downs, this team is 30 and 31. They have their good times and their bad times. That's the type in the of the same game in the, in the same game <laughs> as of yesterday. That's the type of thing that can hopefully ignite a team. I still don't think their bullpen's good enough, but that's a totally different story. No. It was definitely fun to watch, though. So the Phillies have won consecutive series for the first time since they opened the season five and one against the Braves and Mets. They've had back to back walk off wins against the Braves this week. And here come the Yankees. It's the first time they've enjoyed back to back walk offs since June 26th and 27th. The, they actually flip flop their rotation. So your boy Vinny V is going to get to start 
tomorrow. What could go wrong? Vinny Velasquez wait, against so he, the Yankees. Wait, wait, wait. So he was supposed to start Sunday? He was actually supposed to start Monday. Okay. Sunday or they Monday. they did it to get Nola away from the Dodgers. Yeah. They, so who's pitching Sunday? Nola. They, oh, they want Nola to pitch. Why oh, are you going to the game? Yeah. Yeah. So, the, so you'll see Nola pitch. It's the Father's Day game, even though it's not Father's Day. Even though it's not Father's yes. Day. So you'll see Nola pitch in that game. But I'll be honest, Nola's been kind of inconsistent this season, Jeff. It I, doesn't matter. I, I, I don't need to pay to go see Velasquez pitch. No, you don't. You definitely don't. don't want to. But you know who hasn't been inconsistent this year, Jeff? Zach Wheeler. Zach Wheeler. He's, I told you before the season he was the ace, and he has been nothing but amazing. Struck season. out 12 without a walk over eight scoreless innings, then the and bullpen wasted the, the no experience. Decision. He's got a 2.29 ERA this season. He's the first Phillies pitcher to have at least five double-digit strikeout games before July since Cliff Lee had six in 2011. Jay, yeah. can I hit you a couple of numbers on him real quick? Yeah. Because it was going so well in one of the group chats that I have, we go back and forth with the Phillies. I went back as far as his complete game shutout against Milwaukee, which is seven starts now. Two and one record. Unfortunately, the offense hasn't got him enough runs. He's getting less than three runs to support a game. But it's 51 and two-third innings, 32 hits, six walks, 71 strikeouts. It's an 11.83 strike-to-walkout ratio, a 1.39 ERA, and a .74 whip. Yeah, he's the first Phillies pitcher to have two starts with at least 10 strikeouts and no walks since 1891, Jeff. I mean, those are numbers putting up that... Look, that's what you wanted when you got him here. He's mm-hmm. living up to the contract, which doesn't often happen with players. Now, if other pitchers can pitch and the relievers could relieve, but you, they can't. And then they get the win. That That's the, the most amazing thing. Who got the win yesterday? Do you know who got the win? That, who got the win? The guy who blew the game. Oh, Neris got the win? Jose Alvarado. Alvarado. Oh, God, yeah. really? Uh-huh. He's 5-0. and oh. <laughs> Alvarado's 5-0. and oh. Tell me there's nothing wrong with baseball. All right, so I'm going to go to the bullpen now. <laughs> Alvarado's 5-0, and but he's walked 22 batters in 21 and two-thirds innings. Yeah. At the same time... I warned you before the season that I would not be able to watch that. At the same time, he struck out 28 people. Then there's Sam Coonrod, mm-hmm. who's permitted eight of his 12 inherited runs to score. Only six relievers in baseball have done worse. He's allowed runs but what's in his four of his last seven appearances. <laughs> then there's Archie Bradley, who's walked more more batters than he struck out this year. And Brandon Kinsler, who has gotten an 8.50 ERA in 18 innings a season with more home runs allowed five than double plays induced four. Yeah, but keep in mind, Archie Bradley has contributed greatly to this team because he, he the has the bucket hat. Because of the yeah, bucket hat. Right, so exactly. It's like Brad Miller with the bamboo mm-hmm. plant years yes. ago. It doesn't matter if he hits. He brings a bamboo <laughs> yeah. plant. So, like These are the narratives oh we end God. up I forgot with. that how was do, him. How do we get players that don't play Mm-hmm. but bring other things to the table, and all of a sudden there's some cult hero. Like, who cares you brought a hat to the table? You're brought you, here you know, to pitch. You know what that means? What? <laughs> you stopped me in my it, tracks. It means they're not winning. It, <sighs> so when you have a cult hero, it usually means nothing else good but is going on. You want to get to the, the not winning. And by, and by the way, no, before you go with that, is proof that they're not winning, and they they have apathy now. And that's, that's what scares the me. the biggest They've problem. had two of the worst non-COVID crowds 
in the history of this ballpark. Yes. And that's the bigger problem for this team. In the 2008 time and everything, this was the go-to place. There was nobody sitting by Luke Williams' family. No, it felt it bad. Was, I felt I, bad I, for I, them. I, it was so sick. <laughs> they wanted to high-five people, and there was nobody <laughs> there was around them. nobody there. Self-high-five. <laughs> they've, got, they've, got they've got to find a way to bring excitement to this. And, if, and, and sadly, all they have to do, they have players that are exciting. They got to keep them healthy, and they got to get the bullpen to stop blowing it because people like me who love baseball are turning it off. I can't do it. I can't watch Zach Wheeler only to know that after eight innings, they're going to blow it. And by the way, then I'm going to have to watch extra innings with somebody standing on second base. <laughs> I, can't, I, can't, I can't do it. They're ruining my game. <laughs> when we get uh, when we get Luke on, I wonder how he feels about a runner starting in second and extra innings. <laughs> he worked so hard. You try to keep your ERA down. All well, of a sudden, they throw a random now guy. Now I know out what my there. first question is <laughs> <laughs> right. So, all right. Any other thoughts on what you're seeing with this team? The the inconsistency. My problem is I don't always see the effort there, and that's the frustrating part. Like. You can make mistakes if you mm-hmm. try hard. It's when you don't appear to be... You mean brain farts like Jankowski not being able to run the bases properly? That did confuse me. <laughs> <laughs> well, it apparently confused him. <laughs> it did confuse him as well. But this this is a systemic problem that dates all, all the way back to kids playing. Fundamentals are not taught anymore. Everybody wants the home run derby. That's it. Well, I'll tell you who doesn't want the home run derby. Who? Our guest on the line, Luke Leftwich, a pitcher who does not want to see lots of home runs go out of the park. Luke, thanks so much for the time. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on, guys. So, Luke, we, we had a question we were going to start with, but something came up that we, that we now need to know about. As a pitcher... What do you think about the guy starting an inning with a guy on second base? You work so hard, and then all of a sudden you get to an inning, and there's a guy standing behind you before you throw a pitch. Preface: Jeff hates it. <laughs> if you, could, if well, you couldn't tell, I was a, yeah, I was um, in Double A the first year they implemented it, and at first it took a little bit of getting used to. Um, and I understand why they wanted to bring it in to speed up the pace of play and whatnot because. It's basically a free run, but I mean, as a pitcher, I don't necessarily love it because there's some times where you go out there, make some good pitches, give up two fly balls to the outfield, get two outs, and you've given up a run. So, uh, I mean, it's not the best thing for pitchers, but I understand where they're coming from when they did it. Luke, we've had a chance to talk to you back in back when you were pitching at Reading. We followed your mm-hmm. career to where you are now. And so before we get to, to anything else, I got to ask, what was the experience like for you to go pitch in Australia? And by the way, be a member of the Melbourne Aces championship team. Oh, it was incredible. I had a blast down there. They treated us so well. Um, Australia did a really good job with uh, handling COVID early on. So there were hardly any cases over there. So it felt like, back to normal again and that part of it was great um really fun group of guys on the team great coaching staff and obviously when you win the championship it's a fantastic season and a lot of fun so i have nothing but good things to say about it you're a guy who has had baseball in the family your father and grandfather both pitched in the majors if you make the majors you'd be only the second third generation pitcher to make it What's it like when you've got the family like that that you can go pick your dad and your grandfather's brain for some good ideas of what to do? Oh, it's amazing. 
Uh, I've heard a lot of people say, oh, there's so much pressure. You have to be the third. But it really is the complete opposite. They've been nothing but helpful with me in everything on the field, off the field, mentally, physically, anything you could ask for. They've been right there for me. Personal pitching coach is right there all the time. So it really has helped me throughout my career, and they'll continue to help me throughout the rest of it. So it's been great. I wanted to ask you about last year. It was crazy with the pandemic, Mm -hmm. things being canceled. I I saw you say the Phillies wanted the players to treat it as a season, and you ended up back in Atlanta throwing with people there. But at the same time, kind of looking for a job at Lululemon. (laughs) What was that like (laughs) last year to, to try to make a little money to keep it going and at the same time keep yourself ready in this crazy situation? Yeah, it was, I mean, it was an interesting year for everybody. Uh, I was fortunate enough that there's a lot of baseball in Atlanta and there were a lot of people in my situation. So I had a good group of guys out there, um, plenty of people to throw with and all that stuff. And I mean, you guys know minor leaguers don't make a ton of money, so you got to make a little bit more on the side. And I had worked at Lululemon the off season before and great managerial staff there welcomed me back with open arms, understood the situation. And, uh, so it was pretty easy to juggle both of those at the same time without having to play in season. There was, there was basically no minor league season last year and, and, and we're all used to it being part of our lives for those of us that cover baseball and, and, and are in baseball. What was it like for for you not to have that season when, when your whole life has been about baseball? I mean, it was certainly interesting, and I consider myself a bit of an optimist, so I like to uh, look at the bright side of things. And, yes, it absolutely was terrible not getting to play for a whole season. Everybody was really bummed about that. But it was a good opportunity for a lot of us to spend some time with our families that we don't usually get to spend and do a little bit more because, I mean, most of us have never had a summer off since we were 12 years old. So that was nice. I mean, I got engaged and got to spend some time with my family and got to live in the house that we just bought. So that part of it was nice. But, I mean, not playing is always less fun than playing, you know? Yeah. I mean, Luke, we've talked to you in the past and and, and we followed you with regard to how much family means to you and how much your, your, mm-hmm. your past means to you. Um, we'd be remiss. I understand that you had a relationship with somebody that we got to be a little close with and Pedro Gomez. What, what was it like to, mm-hmm. to know him and, and to have him be part of your life back in Arizona? Uh, Pedro was seriously one of the best human beings I've ever met in my entire life. He, I mean, Everybody's seen him on ESPN and all the great work he does and did doing uh, Wednesday Night Baseball and all of those things. He was an incredible, incredible reporter, but he was an even better human being, and he was a great family friend of ours forever. I played with his son growing up. Our parents, my parents were really close with them. Um, He was always there in spring training every year when they did the 30 clubs in 30 days, and they would come through and he would always make a point to take take time out of his day to make sure to come over and see me and see how I was doing and everything. And he would take me out to dinner. And I mean, I, you can't say enough good things about that guy. He was one of the best people I've ever known. 
if yeah. not the best. And, 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 you know, with baseball, you know, you talked about him and his son, Rio. Um, he used to talk about his son all the time and talk, talk about that mm-hmm. whole team and, and, and back then. But, you know, you, we talk about baseball in terms of fathers, sons, moms, kids, the, the family aspect of baseball more than almost any other sport. And so we had an experience this week for Philadelphia in that uh, I, I believe one of your former teammates in Luke Williams had his moment mm-hmm. in the major leagues. And you commented on Twitter, what, what's it like for you to see uh, your old comrades make it to the major leagues and see the reaction of their families? Oh, that's the best. It really, like, one of my favorite things about playing baseball at this level is all the relationships that you make and all the friends that you make and everything like that. And Luke is one of my favorite teammates I've ever played with. And watching him hit that home run and the the smile on his face running around the bases and his family's reaction and then the post-game interview where he was pretty much brought to tears about it, it was, I mean, it almost brought tears to my eyes watching it. I was so happy for him. That was the best part to me. You can see just how much you go through when you reach that that moment. The emotion just overcame him. Mm-hmm. Your own journey has been one that, that's been a little different at times. This spring, you were invited to extended spring training. You, you decided to take a different path and ask for your release. Can you talk about what motivated you and, and what your goals are now going forward? Yeah. Uh, so I had been thinking about it for a little while because coming into spring training this year, I was not quite where I wanted to be mechanics wise, velocity, the stuff coming out of my hand. And that kind of stemmed back to uh, my 2019 injury and the time getting back from that. And I just really wasn't where I wanted to be and nothing against the Phillies. It had nothing to do with them. This was a personal decision of like, I thought the best possible way for me to be a big leaguer was to step away for a little bit really focus on my mechanics, get back to where I was before or even better, and then come back and sign with somebody and have a real shot to push for the big leagues. How much does it mean to you to, to, to go through this process? And, you know, you've had, you've had your own share of injuries, I believe. Uh, so what's it, what's it like to, I guess you're healthy at this point and know that this is the next step for you? Yeah, uh, I'm 100% healthy. Just got done throwing a bullpen today that went really well. Um, and, I mean, my head is definitely in the right place. Um, and I'm really excited for what the rest of this season has in store for me. Because, I mean, I feel like I'm as good as I've ever been. And it's that's exciting to me. All right. So then here's the big question, and I'm rolling my eyes when I ask it. What's your spin rate? to be completely honest with you i don't really know it's not one of the things i look at so so you know that's become especially over the last couple weeks has been like a big issue is spin rates as well as this substance issue what do you what do you see in this is this something new is this something that we all should worry about or is this just the latest talking point for baseball to to see to kind of drum up support you know i would say it's a little bit of both it's been in the game forever. I mean, you can like listen to Nolan Ryan interviews and people from back in the day where they're using substances to either take spin off the ball or get it to move more, whatever, whatever the case may be. Um, I would say the big reason why a bunch of people nowadays are using the foreign substances 
is because, I mean, these balls, if you grab a big league baseball fresh out of the casing, it is, it's a pool ball. It's so slippery. And that's the one thing I, that's one of the things I struggled with when I first got up to AAA in 2019, because you go from the minor league baseball to then AAA that year used the big league baseballs. And there's a massive difference between the two of those. And I mean, you, it really does make a difference when you're used to throwing one and then switch to the other. And I mean, I could definitely see why people have started using it. Uh, more people have started using it because if you don't use something, whether that's just the regular rosin, um, something like that, like it will slip out of your hands. So for those that are that are listening, I bet you a lot of their eyes went up when you said that the ball is different from double A AA to triple A. Why mm-hmm. is that? Your 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 goal is to make the major leagues and to pitch. Why would they have you pitch with a different ball in when they're developing you than the actual ball that you're going to use when you get to the upper levels? Uh I mean, that's a question that I've been asking for a long time. Uh it doesn't really make much sense to me. I mean, maybe it's a cost thing because I know the big league balls are a little bit more expensive and there's so many of them that they go through in every game. But, I mean, to me it makes sense to have a universal ball that you use from rookie ball all the way through the big leagues so that everything's the same and you can look at everything on the same level playing field. Like you said about Nolan Ryan going all the back to way back then that's what i said to jeff last week you know none of this is new people have always been trying Mm -hmm. to do something with the ball to get an advantage i think baseball is using this as an opportunity to crack down because scoring is down and and they're concerned about attendance but i'm I'm curious how much of an adjustment is this going to be for pitchers if in season they come up with a new rule that you can't use the things that got you there (laughs) <laughs> it just seems like you know yeah. spring training would be the time to make that change, not right before the All-Star break. Yeah, I kind of agree with you there. Um, and, I mean, you could make the case from their side that's like, well, you shouldn't have been cheating the whole time. But, uh, I mean, the truth is, like, a lot of people use it um, and use something. So it will be a bit of a learning curve of – now that they're cracking down so heavily on it of going back to nothing or just rosin and things like that. So I could see a definite learning curve for a little bit for the people who are heavily reliant on it. But I mean, these guys are the best in the world. So I think they'll be able to make the adjustment and still be just as good. I mean, they're not, it doesn't make you throw any harder. So it's one of those where it's like, if a guy's throwing a hundred miles per hour, it doesn't really matter if their spin rate is 2,000 or 3,000 or 1,000. It's still 100 miles per hour, and it's still really hard to hit. So, Luke, before we let you go, um, the, the spotlight has shined a lot brighter over the last year, it seems like, or last couple of years regarding minor league baseball and the way that minor leaguers are treated. And you talked earlier about you know having to have a second job while you're trying to, to fulfill your dream and work full-time at that as well. If you were commission, I'm going to make you commissioner of minor league baseball for a day. What would be the one or two things that you would want to see or that you would make changes of to make things better for the minor leagues? Yeah. I mean, obviously the first thing that comes to mind is pay is wages, but I think if that's a non-negotiable for whatever reason, I think one thing that would help a ton with a bunch of minor leaguers is either 
year-long pay so that you don't have to get a second job or you can just basically afford to do your training in the off season while you're not making any money like that would help a ton and also basically either helping pay for housing during the year or paying for housing during the year because a lot that's a really difficult thing that not very many people see is end of spring training you find out three days before you leave where you're going and then you have three days after that to find somewhere to live in that city for like a six-month lease which is the most expensive one you can find and that's really tough as it is and then in certain places those leases are three quarters of your monthly paycheck so it's it's one of those things that like minor leaguers make so little money and then have to spend almost all of it just to live there well, we hope you're commissioner one day and look forward to following your journey, <laughs> Luke. I always appreciate the time and I uh, can't wait to see where you go next. Thanks so much for a few minutes today. Absolutely. I really appreciate you guys having me on. Uh, you take care of yourself. Jeff, it's, it's just, we've only got a minute left, so we don't have too much time to talk. Actually, like 30 seconds, but... You know, people don't realize, and we, we had talked when we went down to spring training a few years ago about all the players that were piled into one house sleeping on mattresses on the floor, and they, they don't yeah, realize. Yeah, they were all excited, I think, to have Mickey Moniak and Adam Hazley there, because they, they seem to be dragging nice mattresses around <laughs> yeah. from, from building to building, but it really it really is difficult and to watch these guys, how hard they work, how much they work, and, and I understand the pay issue, but you have to make sure that they're able to live. This is their career. That's going to be the last word for this week. Let's go Sixers. We'll see what the Phillies do with the Yankees this weekend and join you back next week. Thanks so much for joining us this week. Make sure to join us next Friday night to help you start your weekend in style. Have a great one. We'll talk to you next week. Bye-bye.